Happy World Radio Day. Thank you for making radio a part of your world, no matter how you're getting it. Could be streaming it, could be doing it the usual way. Thanks. On the show today, we are going to give you a chance to win Knights tickets. The London Knights do play the Guelph Storm tonight, and I've managed, I've begged, I've pleaded. Could we please give away some Knights tickets? And it's happening. It's happening in a half hour from now. You're going to need to do some research on former London Knights currently playing for Canadian NHL teams. Have I given enough of it away? It shouldn't make it that difficult then. That's what you will need to do, and we'll give you that opportunity in a half hour from now. But let's put radio to use. Let's have a discussion about something that came up two days ago. A video that had actually surfaced on Sunday of Marcella Zoya. We now know her name. Marcella, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly because... Anyone who looks at it or hears it from now on needs to know what you were trying to do because we need to make an example out of you. Marcella Zoya is the bleach blonde who tossed the chair out of what we now know was an Airbnb in Toronto, and it landed on the ground right near the Gardner Expressway, did not hit anything, and that doesn't make it any better And now she has turned herself into authorities. They basically figured out who she was. That didn't take very long. There's a video of you. And it just so happens that Ms. Zoya appeared to fancy herself somewhat of an internet celebrity. Uh, Celebrity? Mm, I don't think so. She had, what, 4,000 Instagram followers? Close to. Sorry. Hadn't quite hit the 4,000 threshold. That's a few, but you don't have to do much. And she appeared to be willing to take off most of her clothing. And if you do that, I think it's pretty easy to get 4,000 followers. I'm not sure I could get 4,000 followers by removing my shirt, but I'm pretty sure she could. So that's probably where her following comes from. Question now becomes, she's turned herself in. She took a chair from high atop a condo complex that was rented out as an Airbnb. I don't know whether she rented it. Airbnb has come forward saying, oh, uh oh, this is bad publicity for us. We're going to suspend her account. Okay, you do what you've got to do. She's not working for your company, but she threw a chair off a balcony. This could have gone onto the gardener, could have caused crashes, could have hit somebody leaving the condo complex, could have done a lot of things. Could have killed a dog. It didn't. But it could have. Now she's turned herself in. And normally when someone turns themselves in, they're very sorry for what they've done. And they really, really hope that you'll be nicer to them. So what do we do here? Do we be nicer to her? Or do we take this and use her as an example? Because if she was fancying herself as an internet celebrity, which she was not, but... Let's face it, there is money to be made on things like Instagram. If you can get up to 100,000 followers, all of a sudden when you hold up a certain type of pen, here, let's pretend for a second that I had 100,000 Instagram followers. I'm holding up this pen that I bought from Staples. Here it is. And just by doing that, Staples might be happy and give me money. Or they might actually call me and say, you've got 100,000 followers. Want to take a picture of you holding up this pen? 
And that's the way it works. If you get to 200,000 Instagram followers, chances are you're going to be able to broker yourself some pretty good deals. So maybe she was on her way to trying that kind of a thing. But in order to do that, in order to get noticed, taking off your clothes is helpful. And so is doing stupid things. How many times have we seen viral videos, which YouTube is apparently, apparently, starting to crack down on now, where if you light your pants on fire and go running into the street, they won't show that. But it has other ways of getting around. And it gets around all over the place. But she's turned herself in. So here are the concerns that you have to have. People have seen how much attention this has received. Do we call it serial killer syndrome? Do we call it copycat killer syndrome? Because it's got to be the same kind of mindset where, wow, I'd like to be famous too. If only I threw a chair off a balcony, then everybody would know who I was. So how far do we go in making an example out of this person? Do you give her leniency because she's probably sorry and realizes she was an idiot? Or do you say, you know, this is a perfect example. This is a perfect example of the way that some people are trying to go and the dangers that can come with it. So why don't we take this person, she faces up to five years in prison, and why don't we get it done? You, you might be 19 years old, but five years for you. Come and see us again when you're 24. Her life would change completely. Her personality would change. Everything about her would change. And not necessarily for the better. Is that fair? What do you think? You be the judge and jury on this, on World Radio Day, because radio allows us to have these discussions, allows us to look at these hypotheticals, allows us to take the temperature of how you feel. So how do you feel about this? 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Or you can tweet me at stubs980. She's turned herself in. I am willing to bet she is the sorriest she has ever been. That makeup that is caked all over her face in all of those Instagram pictures, that is probably running like you have never seen. But do we take that into account? Do we go easy on her? 519-643-2222 or at 19, do you take someone and say, let's process law here. We can go five years. Let's do it. Let's give her five years. We have the evidence. We have a video of her getting this done. This is easy. Open and shut case. Judge and jury. 519-643-2222. Back to take your calls in just a moment. This is London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Andy has already weighed in on Twitter. Andy says her sentence should be on the harsher side because of the risk to public safety she created when she tossed those chairs off the balcony. Someone could have died. We're talking about Marcella Zoya, 19 years old. She's the chair thrower. And she's turned herself in. She's probably very, very sorry for what she's done. Now, you could look at this and say she's 19 years old. At 19 years old, you're not that smart. I don't know about women, but the male brain apparently doesn't completely form until 25. I think women's brains form before then. Explains a lot about us. But 19 years old, you take that into account? She turned herself in. Do you take that into account? 519-643-2222. Darren, kick us off. How do you feel? 
Well, I'm looking at the fact I left home at 15. By the time I was 19, that's four years. I had to make a lot of good decisions in life. And that being what she did was very risky to, like, let's just say we'd been talking a different conversation if somebody, if that hit a car. If she hurt somebody, we'd be, the conversation would be totally different to what should we do about it. If she'd hurt a cat we would be hearing a whole different conversation. You're exactly right. This chair landed. It was mangled. It'll never be sat in again. It's been tossed aside, I'm sure. But she gets away that way. So so how do we do this then? So punishment degree would be, all right, this is what you could have caused. And you, you, you did it. You know you did it. You're guilty of it. You taped it, for one thing, for, you know, for the whole world to see. Uh, 19 years old, I don't think that's an out. I think you should be, you know, she's living in an apartment. She's able to pay, pay dues and pay her overhead, and she, she should be accountable. What's the risk factor? I don't know. Maybe her do speaking in high schools or, or something that, uh, you know, she she broke the law. I don't know if there what law is that she broke, but obviously she could have caused a lot of damage. It could have had a 10-car pileup. A lot of charges uh, kind of tied to mischief. Darren, thank you so much because you brought up a great point. I mean, you can take this and you can use it. You can put her into high school saying, don't do this, but she's got to believe, first off, she shouldn't do this. 519-643-2222. Richard, how do you feel about this? Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Excellent. Thank you. I just want to quickly wish you a happy uh, radio day. It is. World Radio Day. Thank you, Richard. You realize there was a time in in the history of our country that radio was very important. Premiers across Western Canada used to connect right with their voters that way. Every Saturday night, they would have what they called the fireside chat. Mom and dad, right, and the children would all have supper. They'd get the dishes done up, and then they would go and listen to the radio, whether they were in Saskatchewan listening to Tommy Douglas, whether they were in Alberta listening to uh, Ernest T. Manning, right, or William Aberhart, or if they were in British Columbia, right, listening to W.A.C. Bennett. That was how politicians at that time, right, connected with their listeners. But Anyway, this is 2019, and I still believe, right, that radio has a strong role to play in our society still today. Now, very quickly, Mike, on this issue, right, of this young 19-year-old lady. There is a major difference, Mike, between an act of stupidity and an act of criminality. And I'll give you a quick example. I live on the 10th floor of a high-rise building myself. Now, if Richard goes down and he checks the mail and he leaves his apartment door open for 20 or 25 minutes, right, and he gets robbed as a result of it, that is an act of stupidity, and that falls on Richard's shoulders. But if Richard takes a chair and throws it over the 10th floor of his balcony and hits some elderly lady or elderly man, right, or child, right, whatever, walking their dog, right, and kills them or seriously injures them, right, then that's a totally uh, different matter. And as for this lady, okay, if she has mental health issues, Mike, I'm willing to make some allowances there as long as she's ordered into, you know, counseling, right, and uh, to deal with her uh, issues, right, then maybe I'll give her some, uh, what's the word, little lenient, uh, a little leniency. But if it turns out that she doesn't have mental health issues, Mike, and she did this just out of wanton disregard for human life, in other words, did it maliciously, well, guess what, Mike? I think maybe 30 days right in the county jail would do her good. After all, there was a time in this country when they used to lock up people for 14 days in jail just for having an open bottle and not hurting anybody. And she can get away with this today? No, Mike, if she doesn't have mental health issues, 
issues. I believe the justice system, right, has to deal with this, right? People have to be held accountable today. That's the problem, Mike. But anyways, thank you, Mike, for at least taking the issue seriously, because I have a great sense of humor, Mike. But when it comes to this, my sense of humor, right, is not there. Have a good afternoon, Mike. Great talking to you, Richard. 519-643-2222. James, how do you feel about this? Hi, how you doing, Mike? Pretty good, thanks. First time caller. Um, I I think I I agree with Richard. Uh, he's a little more lenient than I'd be because uh, this is this is, like this is crazy. Thank God most people have got more more common sense to do that. But so what you got it's the people that don't think about the consequences. Those are the ones. Otherwise, he'll be the judge will be sending out the wrong message if he gives her a lenient sentence. He'll be saying we don't take it seriously, and 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 also a copycatter will say same thing. No, I hey I I agree with you. Uh, so fine. You know, but if there's, I agree with Richard. If there's mental health issues, that's that's different. You know, I'll take that in consider. I take it in consideration. Sure. But uh, other than that, now she got to go to jail. She got to. You got to show that you can't do this. It could have been like you imagine 110 kilometers an hour long, and it blew out onto the highway. Oh, that would just be. I don't even want to think about it. Exactly. That. Or as Richard suggested, it it hits somebody walking their dog. It hits a child. Oh yeah, yeah. I could, I could. Kind of, if she was being real careless, was shaking snow off it or something, you know, and, and it slipped out of her hands, maybe, maybe. On, even then, but just to throw it off because she's angry or whatever the case was, um, no, 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 no. She Can't just wanted that. to make a video that would go viral so she and, could get more followers. That's yep. honestly what I believe. And you know what, yeah, and if, if that goes viral and people start doing that, you got, yeah, you got to put a stop to this. Judge has got to set an example, and this is a perfect time to do it. James, I'm glad you called. Thanks for doing it. Okay, Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Email from Alan. And Alan says, Mike, why are we coddling these people? And there's there's a great question in all of this, if that's what we do. Now, I do want to clarify, we haven't seen anything relating to mental health with regard to this individual. But Alan says, why are we coddling these people? We're way too easy on people in Canada. We feel sorry for a truck driver that killed 16 hockey players. We give a terrorist $10 million without a fight. We let a billionaire in Toronto two years for killing two children and a grandfather. Do you see a trend? If we don't start cracking down on them, it will just get worse and worse. 519-643-2222. Charlie, your thoughts on this? Hey, Mike. You know, we're so caught up with the young girl. She's a pretty little blonde. But there's one thing you're missing, Mikey. Please give it to me. Someone took the picture. She didn't take that picture by herself. And when you look at the news captures, they, they show a lot of people up in that, up in that floor with her. So she just didn't do it all by herself. She may have been coerced into it or whatever, but someone took the picture, and that person that took the picture is just as guilty as she is. Charlie, thank you for bringing that up, because you're right. I did miss that, and I didn't say that. I did get caught up in the video. But, yeah, she's not filming that with a camera on a tripod. Somebody's holding the camera. Right. Charlie, thanks for bringing that up. Okay, bud. See, that's great. I mean, we are going to tie this to a little something else, too, because let's face it, this girl is 19 years old. She's turned herself in. Her friends are probably the same age. And it comes down to when are you responsible for your own actions? When should you realize what you are doing? There's another case, a very serious case, that did involve death that I want to point to in just a couple of minutes. First, back to the phones, we go with Bob. Bob? Hi, Mike. Boy, could you imagine how many uh, 
rock stars would have been in jail in sixties and seventies for throwing TVs and sofas and chairs out of the out of the freaking windows. Eh? Well, okay, sure, but <laughs> but uh, you know, okay. but if they had hit somebody, and yeah. I mean, this here's here's the thing that didn't exist in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties. You didn't have the ability to gain a public following by doing something stupid. And the more we let that go, the more we encourage it, the more things we're going to have flying at us. Well, no, I agree with that. Well, I guess during my time back in those days. We would streak, <laughs> you know, we wouldn't, I don't know. I'm just laughing a little bit. Uh, I know it's a serious issue, but I guess really uh, what I'm looking at, she's 19 years old, okay, so she threw the chair out the window. Yeah, not smart, but we know you have to take things in consideration. When she threw it down, I guess we have to find this out. Did she take a good look below and make sure nothing was down? Yeah, but it not, wouldn't not, matter. It has no, to no, fall not, so far, no, and she's right beside the gardener. I know, I know, but let, just hear me out. Okay. So, so, she, so she, she probably took a look. Okay, I'm going to say uh, she's not going to purposely drop it on somebody walking by or a car. She doesn't by. seem to take a look in the video. I've watched the video a okay. lot. There's not a lot of, hey, let's see what's down there. It's let's throw this chair down. Okay, so, so she did what she did. Stupid thing to do, obviously, potential for some tragic incident to happen, but it didn't happen. So you can't you can't try uh, somebody in the courts for what may have what could have happened. You have to you know take isolate the incident. So yeah, should there should be a bylaw somewhere? I'm I'm assuming that she should be fined at least. Well, she faces five years in prison for mischief yeah. related charges. That, that's a bit that's a bit overboard. Now, if we're going to take people for throwing things out a window and nothing happened and we're tying up our court systems and our jails with people like that rather than people that should be in jail plus you take into consideration at 19 years old we all did stupid things okay and if you if, if anybody out there listening says i didn't you're lying so uh so if you do that to somebody at 19 and you put them in jail you're going to create a person with a chip on their shoulder Okay, so maybe she needs to go to counseling and maybe her head screwed on right. That's what you have to do with the young people. You just don't cast them into jail for something like this. You reprimand them, you find them, you make you, you send the message home, but not five years in jail. That's ridiculous. That's hey, Bob, ridiculous. thanks. Hey, that's what I said at the beginning, because that is the risk. If you take her at 14 and you put her in jail and she serves the full sentence, even if she serves three years and gets out at 22, she's a different person. Absolutely. Yeah, different person. Absolutely, it's a, and you know, you, you have to, uh, you know, use. We have to use some common sense here. There's, there's a lot. Bad, there's a lot worse people. A lot more, way more heavier criminals out there that should take her spot in jail. So those are the people we got to concentrate on. The ones that actually did do harm to somebody uh, through their actions. You know, Bob, so. thanks for the call. All right. Take care, Mike. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. And yeah, we do get caught up in this. It almost reminds me of the Michael Vick situation where he was found to have killed dogs. And remember how that went off? Because it's something that grabs attention. Bob brings up a good point. We've got sex offenders. We've got people who are breaking into houses. We've got people who are doing malicious criminal things and they're not in prison and they've been able to evade law enforcement or whatever it is eventually you have to think they get caught but are we spending enough time on those individuals in the courts that's that's where things get slippery all right marilyn you can close us out on this topic yeah okay i'll wrap it up 
look at um, Happy Radio Days. Thank you. And I go back to Fibber McGee and Molly and Dagwood and Blondie and, <laughs> and Lux Radio Theater and all those, and The Shadow and all those wonderful radio programs. Did they really, I always wondered this, and I'm going to ask you, Marilyn, did they really advertise Ovaltine on some of those like they do in, in The Christmas Story? I don't remember that. Not Ovaltine? You no, know, I don't okay. remember. Of course, there were commercials. Mm-hmm. I rem- and I can even sing some of them. We will have to do that at some point. That would be great. Rent so white, rent so white, happy little watch day song. See, that's fantastic. I, I want those radio days to come back. Well, and then the old um, soap operas, Ma Perkins. And I, I, I think of myself as being Ma Perkins. Okay. I don't know much she, about Ma Perkins. I should anyways, look into her. but that's the way it goes. But, you know, I live on the seventh floor of a big apartment building, and I've got, I won't even put a plant, hanging plant out on my balcony because the wind, such as it is today, would perhaps uh, knock it off and it could damage somebody's car or hurt somebody or even kill someone. Well, Marilyn, thank you for having well, that responsible nature. That's right. She does need counseling. She needs something. But, I mean, it's, it is it's an example of of how a number of people feel in going after this fake celebrity that they think can exist because they've got Instagram followings, and I don't know where we go from there. Marilyn, got to go for news. Remember Thank you. Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. I hope well, we talk tomorrow. Wife, give her a box of chocolates. I got her some perfume. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Did you I get the white diamonds? Mm, no, I, I don't remember what it was called, but I remember the name of it. But then I'll, it's a whole story about how I messed up not being romantic. I, not in her eyes, but in my eyes, Aww. giving it to her. I, I, I have no romantic ability in in any part of my body. You Marilyn, we'll talk about that later. You romantic. You're handsome. <laughs> so there you are. Marilyn, you have a great day. You too, honey. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. News is next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. The London Knights take on the Guelph Storm tonight. The drive-in on the 401 could be a little bit dicey for the Guelph Storm, but when they get here, this is going to be a fun one. This will be one that could melt snow. These are two of the top three high-scoring teams in the OHL. Knights actually are number one in goals per game. Ottawa's in there kind of in the mix as well, having scored more goals than anybody. But we're talking about talent, talent that you can put on the ice. Here's what we're also talking about, an opportunity for you to be at the game. You can go and see the London Knights and the Guelph Storm. We have three pairs of tickets that we are going to give away right now by phone. We'll have to do it. It's World Radio Day. We're going to go back to the old-fashioned way. So you can't tweet. You can't email. We're not asking you to log on anywhere. You just pick up a phone and call 519-643-2222 right now. That's 519-643-2222. We'll give away the pairs individually. And here is the skill testing question that you must get through. Name a former London Knight currently playing for a Canadian NHL team 
that isn't the Toronto Maple Leafs. And here's the only other thing that we ask. Please be able to go to the game tonight. Don't take tickets away from somebody who could go. Hey, I want tickets. Hey, you going to the game? No, no, we're having an early Valentine's Day dinner. Don't do that. No, be able to go to the game. Bring your Valentine to the game. 519-643-2222. You must be able to name a former London Knight who is currently playing for a Canadian NHL team that is not the Toronto Maple Leafs. So Mitch Marner doesn't count, and John Tavares doesn't count, and Nazem Kadri doesn't count. Anybody else playing for a Canadian team? They're in play. 519-643-2222. Jason, you are up first. What do you have for us? Uh, Dave, Dave Bowen? He's not currently playing, and, and he is still technically under property of an American team. So close. Call back. 519-643-2222. Stu, you are next. What do you have? Hey, Stu? Maybe he had Dave Boland as well. 519-643-2222. Darren? Well, I guess. just happen to be a Montreal fan. Well, that's perfect. Name me a former London Knight playing for the Montreal Canadiens. There are two. Domi. Max Domi, it is. Darren, can you go to the game tonight? Oh, yes, I'll be there. You are going to the game tonight, my friend. Let me put you on hold, and we'll get some information from you, okay? 519-643-2222 as we go to Gary. Gary, name me a former London Knight not playing or not playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs but playing for a Canadian team. Bo Horvath. Bo Horvath of the Vancouver Canucks. Bo Coover. Somebody's already off to Bo Coover, thanks to FM 96. You, sir, Gary, are off to the game. Okay, perfect. Hang on. We'll get some information from you. 519-643-2222, and we will go to Corey. All right, Corey, we've had Max Domi taken. We've had Bo Horvath taken. It's getting tough. Can you name uh, a former Knight? I don't know, Stubbsy. <sighs> Um, how about Victor Mete? How about Victor Mete? You are off to see the Knights in the Storm tonight. Oh, my wife's going to kiss me and you. Look at this. <laughs> you might make the kiss cam. That I would hope. be if if you make the kiss cam, you have to wave, okay? All right. Hang on. I can't even imagine how many times the kiss cam will come out tonight. Those are our three winners. Congratulations. Next up, we are going to talk about a hockey game that was played in London last night between Team Canada and Team USA. It was a massive night for the London Devilettes. And we will talk with one of the executives of the London Devilettes and a former Spirit of Sport winner in the city of London, Steve Milne, joins us next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Last night, the United States did beat Canada in women's hockey in Game 1 of the Rivalry Series. Londoner Caitlin Gosling, Brittany Howard of St. Thomas, a part of Canada's national team, both former London Devilettes. And it will continue on Thursday in Toronto. They'll wrap it up, three-game series in Detroit on Sunday. But last night, there were over a 1,000 London Devilettes players at Budweiser Gardens in what was a sellout crowd. And even though I'm not sure what the exact number was, 8,006-something, is that what it was? Remember, when Hockey Canada has an event, there are dignitaries and there are seats that have to be taken up by certain individuals that are not sold. So they will come in and say, we need this many seats. 
for the Memorial Cup. I think it's 1500 that they say, we need these. I'm not even sure what it is for a World Junior game, but a 9,000-seat facility like Budweiser Gardens all of a sudden doesn't have a capacity of 9,000 because there are reserved seats. So that's impressive. That's really impressive. And joining us right now to talk Devilettes and the game last night is a guy who was there, Steve Milne who is the communications director with the London Devilettes and has been a spirit of sport winner in the city of London. Steve, 1,000-plus Devilettes players, part of a sold-out crowd last night. What was that like? Steve Milne with the London Devilettes and... Now we we look at this, and we look at the following that women's hockey is getting. We look at the Canadian Women's Hockey League. And I wonder, are we entering that point where we are going to see enough attention? Because that's always the key here. Your entertainment dollar is divided. And your attention is divided by so many different things right now. And when it comes to sports and leagues... There's sometimes too much. And because of that, you don't necessarily see people following certain leagues, and those leagues go quiet. And we've seen that with women's sports. It's been a real tough challenge for them to draw eyeballs at the WNBA level. We have seen women's hockey tried before in different leagues uh, for a while in the war. It went really, really well. Women's hockey popularity was through the roof. That's during World War I. Look back at some of those things. So, I mean, we're talking about something that has been around a long time. But are we hitting the point where you would get enough of a following that you could seriously look at having a professional league succeed all by itself? We're not talking like the WNBA was helped out by the NBA, where you would have, hey, There is a women's hockey game tonight, and people are sitting down saying, you know what I'm doing tonight? I am watching the Calgary Inferno take on Montreal. I am watching Toronto and Calgary. I'm watching Toronto and Montreal. And they mean women's hockey. Could we hit that point? Would girls watch it to that extent? Because that's always the thing. You've got a male-dominated viewership for things like sports. And I believe that's the thing that has hindered women's sports. That you've got guys saying, you know what, I, as much as I will watch every second of Olympic women's hockey, I will watch all of that. I will watch every Canada game, never miss a gold medal game. You can hear that. When it comes to Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to watch the NHL. Or if I'm going to go to a live hockey event, I'm going to go and see the London Knights play. Instead of putting your eyeballs and your pocketbook out for women's professional hockey. And I think that's something they've struggled against because it hasn't been, and this, this is, as far as I'm concerned, more truth than anything, but I think it might be changing. It hasn't been a thing for girls to sit around and watch a hockey game that much. If they play hockey, sure. And maybe that's where the turning point has come. We've got so many girls playing hockey that they are willing to sit back and watch. Maybe. I mean, where do you place this? If you have any thoughts, please send me a quick email. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. That's Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We have one thing to pass along to you. 
We have one person who won night's tickets who cannot use them tonight. Maybe had to check and, uh, we did have that early Valentine's Day dinner. So that means one pair of tickets has come back into circulation. If you would like to go and see the London Knights and the Guelph Storm tonight, if you can go and see the London Knights and the Guelph Storm tonight, we'll rewind everything. You can name any former London Knight currently playing for an NHL team that is not the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you can even use the ones that were already guessed, 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. Give us a call right now if you can go, and if you can answer that skill testing question, we'll be back to give those tickets away and to tell you what else is coming up on London Live. We're not done yet. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, one last set of London Knights tickets to give away. You must name a former London Knight currently playing for a Canadian NHL team that is not the Toronto Maple Leafs. April. Hello? Hello. Hi. Max Domi. Max Domi is exactly right. Can you go to the game tonight? I sure can. You are going to the game tonight. Thank you. Hang on. We'll get some information. Coming up, after news with Jacqueline LaBelle, we're going to be talking about the carbon tax, but we've got a really interesting look at this. We need to have a better understanding of this. We're looking at something that is being put in place whether we like it or not. I mean, the federal government has said, hey, provinces don't want to do it. We'll make them do it. We'll give all provinces that don't have a carbon tax or don't have a plan like this, and we have seen the Ontario government make changes to what we were going to have here, we'll make sure it's in place. So it's coming. Now, ultimately, the design for this is to cut down on greenhouse gas emissions, make our world a better place, avoid some kind of horrific tragedy in 2030 or 2050 where our world is warming to the point that we can't turn it back and it becomes unlivable for future generations. We hear all the top scientists say that's coming. That's coming. I still look at this as being, have you ever raked your leaves early on in the season? What happens? Your neighbor's leaves blow onto your lawn. You need everybody involved for this to work. but. It has to start somewhere, right? We're going to talk about the carbon tax. We're also going to talk marijuana with Eric Shepard because guess what? We've got a spot in London where it could be sold, and we'll give you details on that too. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Hey, did you see that the Mars One people, company, that it's declared bankruptcy? How could this have happened? How could this have happened? How could this plan not have worked? You remember Mars One, right? I'm trying to think of put it together. Was it Elon Musk? I don't think so. He would have had a different idea. But Mars One was selling or picking people who would be on a reality TV show, and they were promising one-way trips to Mars. So just get your head around that for a second. One-way trip to Mars. You know when you buy a one-way flight to Pittsburgh, eventually you got to find a way to get back from Pittsburgh cuz you're only going one way. Hey, look, this ticket to Pittsburgh I got, 74 bucks. Hey, that's pretty good. When are you coming home? I don't know, it doesn't say. But it was 74 bucks. Yeah, uh you'll have to get to Pittsburgh and buy another one back, probably for 260 bucks. 
Not that I'm speaking from experience, of course. But Mars One was going to send people to Mars, one-way ticket. They needed $6 billion in investment money, and I think they fell a little shy of that. $6 billion. But we did have a person from Burlington. We had a person from Waterloo who had gone through the rounds and rounds of selection, and they had actually been there. So they had a $13.5 million investment, according to one news outlet, from Phoenix Enterprises AG. That was in July 2018. But again, they needed $6 billion. They were supposed to announce a final list of 24 people, but they delayed that due to funding. So they stayed at 100 finalists, six of them Canadians, and one from Burlington and one from Waterloo, who now are going to be staying with the rest of us here on planet Earth. Well, that's great news. We didn't want you guys to leave anyway. But what's planet Earth going to be like? Maybe we'll be knocking on the doors of Mars One saying, yeah, I got uh, 25 cents I found on my couch. Um, I can uh, cash in an R... RSP. I'm going to take a hit on this, but uh, I can get you 1700 bucks. Uh, will that do? Can I get to Mars? That becomes the question. Can we live here? Well, that's where we wind up getting into our friend, the carbon tax. And if we look at the carbon tax, why is it a big deal? Well, you look at scientists and scientists will say this is a big deal. If we don't do something now, the temperature on Earth, and forget about the snow, weather is not the same thing. Come 2030, temperature will rise. Come 2050, temperature will rise. If it rises, according to many scientists, most scientists, smart people, more than a degree and a half, there's no turning back, and parts of our planet will become unlivable. So we wind up needing to do something now. We need to reduce emissions. I still look at this, as I said before news, that it's like raking the leaves on your lawn and then waiting for the wind to blow. If your neighbors don't rake their leaves, there are fewer leaves in the neighborhood because you've put some in leaf bags and you're waiting for the wonderful people in London to come and get them. But there's still a lot of leaves around. So we need to find a way for everybody to kind of get on board. Our country is getting on board by way of a carbon tax. Now, it's a forced carbon tax, but we need to understand this a little bit better. And our next guest, I think, can help us do just that. Our next guest is Steve Dick, and Steve is the president of Guelph Solar, and he joins us now. Steve, great to have you with us. Yeah, hey. Good to be with you. Well, let's talk a little bit about, first off, your impression of the words carbon tax. When you hear that, what do you think of? Well, first of all, carbon tax, I prefer to say carbon fee. And the reason I would say carbon fee is because when I think about doing the right thing, getting our economy heading in the right direction towards a low-carbon economy, we want to do it in a, a revenue-neutral way. So I would call it a carbon fee rather than a carbon tax. Okay. All right. Um, you're somebody who has kind of the, the environment in your pocket. You you do care deeply about this, right? Yeah, I, I work in the solar industry. That says it right there. And you've had some political involvement in it? 
Yeah, I, I, I ran as a Green candidate back in 2011. So why do you feel then, Steve, that a carbon fee, as you call it, is going to be beneficial? How is this helping us? Well, right now, the, the low-cost thing to do is to dig it out of the ground and burn it. You know, that's, if you need energy, that's the, that's the low-cost thing to do. The reason it's low-cost is because we've been doing it for a lot of years. We've got the infrastructure set up that way. One of the problems with that, having our economy run that way, is we're, we're not including the costs, the ongoing costs, like the insurance costs, the cost to the environment and future generations, uh, having our economy set up that way. So we need a way to include the real costs of having carbon pollution uh, included in our activities. And it's a market-based solution. If, if we do it in a revenue-neutral way, we've got a market-based solution so people can actually see the cost of their decisions when they go and whatever they do, whatever we do, there's, there's, there's energy involved in it. And it's, it's important for people to actually see the, the, uh, the carbon impacts. Okay, and I'm picturing then something that I've purchased and I'm looking down and I would have the item and then I would have the price of the item. I would have my taxes and then I would have my total. Would we then in your mind have something that denotes how much it costs in terms of, of footprint? Is that it? Well, that that's essentially what you need. Like for people that make good, de- good decisions, they need good information. And part of the information is the actual cost of the item. So, no, I, I, I wouldn't expect you to have, like, you know, fee for the item plus fee for the carbon. What, for me, the very best uh, legislative model is, is put forward by a group called the Citizens Climate Lobby. And what they suggest we do is as fuel comes out of the ground, oil, natural gas, coal, whatever, whatever you're digging out of the ground, you, you include a, a gradually rising cost or carbon fee. Now, you want to have that be revenue neutral, meaning that every citizen would receive back a carbon check each month. So the government isn't making money out of this. You're not getting more government spending, but you are including the cost of that carbon in the cost of all the products that are manufactured out of those products. Okay, so this is this is something I definitely want to get my head around because I want to make sure that that we all understand how that would work. So you're talking revenue neutral. So there there is a cost. Then who winds up paying the cost so that I can get my carbon check? Because somebody's got to be paying that, right? Exactly. So the the way the very best way to do this is at the gas wellhead or at the oil wellhead. So the the, the cost is assigned at at the as as the carbon is drawn on the ground. That's the first place it starts. Now, that fee or that cost is going to trickle throughout the economy. So whether you're driving a car, you're flying, your, you're flying in an airplane, you're heating your house, all these different things, growing food, there's a lot of carbon in growing food. All these items, all these products, they would you know, go up because of the carbon cost in them. Now, it's really important, especially for low-income people, that they receive a carbon check so they can continue to heat their house, they can continue to drive to work, and they can afford food. And it just because, a, like a low-income person, the amount that they spend on carbon 
will be slightly less than what they um, are receiving in the carbon check. So they'll come out a little bit ahead in, in, a, in a revenue-neutral carbon price world. Now, if you're, if you're a wealthy individual and you like own a factory, run a business, you're going to be like running the numbers on this, and you're going to say, wow, this carbon stuff is, is getting expensive. And um, I always wanted a Tesla. You know, I, I need, I, I always, you know, I, I need a windmill. I need all kinds of low carbon solutions. And uh, that's what's going to drive all kinds of phenomenal jobs uh, for Canada. Okay. I'm, I'm on board this. I like this. I, I like how it's being laid out. Steve Dick joining us, president of Guelph Solar. We're talking about carbon tax, and we're talking about a way that we could have a carbon, not tax, but as Steve has outlined it, carbon fee. It would be revenue neutral. We would all get a lot of checks if, if we did it month by month. That particular wealthy individual, or let's say a company owner, would they perhaps be paying more? Because you mentioned the lower income individual would be receiving slightly more than the carbon they were actually you know, responsible for. Would the opposite occur at the other end of the wage scale? The people who, or at least in the business scale, the people who were, were responsible for putting more emissions into the atmosphere, would they be paying more? Absolutely. So think about someone who's, you know, they've got two homes, uh, you know, they've got several cars. Uh, maybe, maybe they're, they're flying uh, a lot with their, with their uh, you know, flying to floor, whatever they're doing. Anybody who's using a lot of carbon energy, they're going to be paying that fee a lot more. And so they'll end up, um, yeah, spending more on carbon. Now, they can do things uh, to reduce that, and like an air source heat pump is a great way to heat your home. Um, and, and there's, you know, like electric cars, you know, they're coming. They're, they're, that's, you know, you get a battery with four wheels, the battery, you can counted as free after you get the four wheels that come with it. Um, so there, there, are, there are a lot of great solutions, and it's, it drives our economy towards a, a high-tech, low-carbon one. So it's kind of forcing everybody to say, hey, I am doing something and and I do need to make some changes. And that force comes in. What about the people who are just sitting back and getting carbon checks and saying, ah, yeah, I get my check. It's it's revenue neutral. I, I don't need to do much. Is there a way to incentivize them to be more involved? Well, this is one of the things I love about it. You know, and you, you use the word force. And I'm going to say, not really. Like, you're not getting forced to do it. Uh, there is a little bit more pain with, like, if you don't, you know, if you say, hey, you know what, I don't believe in climate change. I think this is a bunch of garbage. Forget it. You get your carbon check. You can keep driving your Hummer. You can do whatever you want. The smart money is going to say, well, you know what, the science is in. You know, I always, I like those electric cars. They're very cool. They're very fast. You know, they got fewer moving parts. They don't have to get oil changed. All kinds of good things about new technology. So, and that, and that, you know, and so the middle income person, that they will, they will follow the lead of, um, you know, as as those people who either they're they're technology junkies and they like doing things first, or business people who really run the numbers and say, hey, this is the best thing to do for my pocketbook. Uh, middle income people will will have will reap the benefits of uh, low co- low carbon economy.
Steve Dick with us, president of Guelph Solar. As we talk about a carbon fee, talk about a, a strategy that would do it that would at least make us realize, hey, here are the things that I'm using that do have that impact. Steve, what would you see happening to the price of things, whether it is a flight, whether it is home heating? What would happen there? Well, one of the most important things to, to have as this, this moves forward is, is, is stability. What you want is you want the carbon fee or the carbon price to go up like $10 a ton each year. So it's a small amount. It's like, you know, two, I think it's around two to four cents per liter a year on, on gasoline. So, you know, your price of gasoline is going to go up each year. Your price of diesel fuel is going to go up. The price for heating your house, everything is going to slightly go up. And the more of you, more of it that you use, you know, the more that you're going to pay. Now, your check is also going to go up. Your carbon check is going to go up. So what I really like about this is it allows individuals, like some people, they can make the decision, you know what, I want to telecommute. Like, I hate driving. Traffic is terrible anyways. My boss is, you know, like, they're, they're, he needs a little, little encouragement to, to work this out. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work from home a lot more. Or, um, you know, I, I, I use the... the idea of an air source heat pump. It's a great way to, for people to heat their house. Um, so that's, I, I like the fact that people get to choose. It's, it's not a new government program. We're, we're not like, you know, they're not telling us, hey, you got to put new windows in your house or, hey, do this, hey, do that. Those, those programs actually create instability. Each ind- individual person needs to be able to see where, where it makes the biggest bang for their buck. And that, that's what I like about this model. All right. Now, where does this model stand in the grand scheme of things? Have we seen government officials say, hey, this is the way we'd like to go? Or are they still contemplating which direction to truly go in? Well, it's very interesting. Justin Trudeau, to his credit, is is putting in a carbon fee. Now, I believe I believe it's April 1st, April 30th, something like that. He's got some fee that he's he's bringing forward. Now, there's some good things about what he's talking about. Well, first of all, he's doing something. I like that. Second of all, he's saying it's, it's revenue neutral. I really like that. I think that's important. That can allow stability. I'm going to say for people on the right, it's really important that whatever you do to address climate change, you're not increasing government spending. I'm on board. I like that. There is a bit of a, a poison pill in Trudeau's approach. He is doing this thing called output-based pricing system. And that sends the biggest carbon checks to the biggest carbon emitters. It's really, it undermines the whole gig. It, it, it's, not a, it's not a good thing to do. Um, what I would really encourage Mr. Trudeau to do is just to look south of the border. There's, I, I mentioned the Citizens Climate Lobby earlier. Uh, there's the Citizens Climate Lobby is, have been working with a bipartisan group in the U.S., so Republicans and Democrats, and they're bringing forward a bill. Now, it's uh, innovation, innovation on energy and the climate or some such thing. And uh, they've got this, it's, it's, a, it's a carbon seam dividend bill, very similar to Trudeau's, but it doesn't have this uh, output-based pricing system that gives the biggest checks to the biggest corporate polluters. Um, I'm afraid that Mr. Trudeau has been talking to big money, and they've got hold of his ear. 
<laughs> all right. Well, hey, Steve, this has been great. Thank you for laying it out in the way you have. I think we've all learned a lot, and output-based carbon pricing is definitely a group of four words we'll have to pay close attention to because if, in fact, the biggest checks are going that way, can you see a, an issue in the end? Does, does it hurt us in any way if that's the way they decide to go? And by well, us, I mean the rest of us smaller people who are not the great big polluters? What what can I say? But it, it just it doesn't actually get us where we need to go. Okay. You know, it it, it uh, the, the checks will be smaller. That's probably the biggest thing. The the because they're sending the big checks to the big polluters. Mm-hmm. Then hey, you know, like your your checks would be bigger if they weren't sending sending the big checks to the big polluters. Gotcha. So if I'm spending more on gas or if I'm taking a flight or something like that, I'm going to have a couple of months where, hey, I'm I'm not going to get back what I had spent in those increases then. Well, it, it's, it's a little bit complicated. There's there's some different things that happen for uh, import-export things um, that, it, like, this is really important for businesses to understand. As, as you price anything in your economy then you're going to see foreign products that are lower cost can come into your economy and they'd be less expensive. Hmm. So this is why the, you, you, it, they're, it's called, they're called border cost adjustments that are needed. And this is what this, this uh, bipartisan group in the United States is, is working on. And it really it gets you working with your neighbors to say, hey, friend, you want to ship something into my country, um, do you have a carbon price in place over there? Oh, you don't. Okay, well, that's okay. We're going to apply a border adjustment as that product comes into our economy. Because we in, in Canada, we in Canada are addressing this, this carbon pollution. We're addressing climate change. Um, and similarly, as we export our products into other jurisdictions, that carbon fee would re- be returned to the manufacturer. Now, what it really, what you really want to do is you want to have all jurisdictions get a carbon price in place so that we're all heading in the right direction, in the same direction. And, and that's where I'd like to see Canada working with, with the United States on this. Okay. Well, Steve, really appreciate all the information today. Have yourself a great afternoon. Thanks for the call. And if you could get everybody on board, that means when you rake up your leaves, everybody else is raking up their leaves and the leaves don't come on your lawn. We'll let you know what's still to come on London Live when we return. Thanks to Steve Dick from Guelph Solar on a little lesson in how a carbon fee could work and how the one that is being put in place in around April may work. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Thanks again to Steve Dick for helping us to understand a whole lot more. I know it was a lot to get our heads around, but helping us understand more about carbon fees and what is told as a carbon tax over and over again in a lot of news stories. News is coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle, and then we are going to talk marijuana on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. You've been following the measles outbreak in Washington State. There isn't a lot to necessarily follow other than there's a measles outbreak. Why are we having a measles outbreak? Well, it does go to the anti-vaccination movement that we can trace back, what, over 20 years now, where somebody decided to link 
being vaccinated to autism. And we've seen science take that down since. But you had people like Jenny McCarthy talked off the start of the show about what celebrity status can do. She gets out there and talks about it. And now you've got all kinds of people who have not been vaccinated. You know, we had smallpox wiped off the face of the earth. And everybody had agreed to destroy everything. If, if you look at how smallpox happens, it's a horrific thing. And it wiped out all kinds of people. I mean, killed them. And others were deathly ill many, many years ago now. But smallpox is something that when you contract it, you get these sores on your tongue. And you start to get this fever for a while, and you feel horrible, and then you start to feel better. But these sores on your tongue burst, and that's how the virus spreads itself around your body. And from there, you're either going to make it or you're not. So we've got all of these things eradicated. By the way, smallpox still exists. Nobody seems to get it anymore. But when they had the opportunity for every country in the world to do away with any sample of smallpox that they had. They could have destroyed them all. The United States, and I believe it was the Soviet Union at the time, both went, you know, for research purposes, we're going to hang on to this. We're just going to keep this around, just for research, science. And so somewhere in some crazy lab, that still exists. But we've had a number of other things pop up, and measles, measles is one of those things. 40, 50 years ago, Everybody got the measles. It happened maybe 50, 60 years ago. Maybe that's a better way to say it. You just got the measles. But vaccinations got rid of it. Vaccinations got rid of polio. And now we've got a measles outbreak. Very interesting story out of the Washington Post because obviously this is a big story in the United States. And the Washington Post has has looked into this about one guy who turned 18. His name's Ethan Lindenberger. And his mother had not allowed him to be vaccinated all his life. And for the first little while, he didn't notice anything about it. But then he admits when he got to the age of, you know, 12, 13, 14, he started reading a lot. And he started looking into the science and he started to get freaked out because he wasn't vaccinated against all these things and didn't want any of them. So he turned 18 just recently. You want to know what he did for his 18th birthday? Ethan Lindenberger got vaccinated. We'll come back in just a moment. We will look back to October the 17th. That was the day that marijuana became legal in Canada. And we'll look at how things have rolled out since. Remember what everybody was talking about before we got to October 17th? Hey, this is coming in pretty quick. Hey, is this just the federal government making some cash? Hey, what's happening here? You mean I can only buy it online, but if I buy it online, I probably can't cross into the United States? There were so many unanswered questions. Now, it hasn't sent people running, screaming through the streets. Nothing like that is taking place. But if we look at the rollout... What are we seeing? And now, through a lottery win, because that's essentially how we're determining who is going to run the pot shops that will eventually sell physical marijuana that you buy physically yourself instead of ordering it online. When we look at who won the lottery uh, and how this has happened, what do we make of how that's played out? We're going to talk with Eric Shepard, who is a marijuana advocate, next on London Live. He's always a very interesting guy to hear from and he's coming up on london live and global news radio 980 cfpl
So, we have an application that has gone into the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario. And that application comes after, essentially, a lottery has been won by an individual that plans to have a commercial marijuana outlet on Wonderland Road. If you want to picture where this would be, think where the ore house was. It's that little plaza. Now, I'm not sure which store it would be, what part of the plaza it would be in, but it's right near all the apartment buildings at Wonderland in Oxford. So think about that. Right across from the Costco. Got it in your mind? That's where it would be. Let's take a minute to look at how... Everything has progressed since October the 17th and how things have played out in the legalization of marijuana in this country. Because, again, I'm looking down at Wellington Street right now, Wellington just north of King. I see no one running, screaming with their hands in the air because of marijuana. In fact, I see no one at all, and I think it's the weather that has had something to do with that. It is not a nice day outside. But no one is running screaming. We have seen no chaos in the streets. We are seeing no protests that hinder your drive into work. Everybody's just, yeah, marijuana's legal. Some people say, I was already doing it. Doesn't change my life. Other people will say, last time I did it was in college. Doesn't change my life. So what has it been like? Let's talk right now with marijuana advocate Eric Shepard. Eric, great to have you on the show. Hey there. Nice to see you. Let's talk a little bit about the time that has passed since October 17th. You're very close to this issue. How do you see how things are playing out in terms of the legalization in this country? Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, it's normalized. We're we're getting to the point of normalization, at least. And as you mentioned, like society is not crumbling. We there's really not much difference from where it was before, except people aren't being locked in cages anymore. So that's kind of <laughs> nice. No doubt. Is there anything you do see as being different? Well, I mean, the the availability of uh, legal pot is making it so that um, people who otherwise would feel leery about going to a black market vendor now are able to do so legally. They're able to do so with, uh, you know, with with the kind of confidence that um, that one might have if you're having a beer or something like that. And also, the ability to grow your own is pretty nice. Uh, a lot of people have started gardens. <laughs> so the grow your own is one thing if someone wants to do that. And mm-hmm. like you describe it, nice for people who want to do it. Buying online, the fact mm-hmm. that that's how it all began. What were your thoughts on that? And, and what are your thoughts now that you've seen it in action for a little bit? Well, I mean, it was a disastrous rollout. Uh, there's been supply shortages and the website didn't really work all that well at first. And I still don't know how well it works because I haven't used it, quite frankly. And um, the fact that your credit card records are now you know, on on record as you having bought pot, uh, we've had a lot of people turned away at the border of uh, the United States for that reason. And I don't remember hearing that that might be a possibility when all this was beginning. Mm. Do you? Yeah, no, not really. But uh, it very quickly became apparent that uh, that was going to be used against people. Yeah. We're talking with Eric Shepard, marijuana advocate, and we're just going back over how things have gone since mm-hmm. October the 17th. With regard to the online sale, do you think if the government had to do it again, they would do it differently? Or is this just, hey, we had to do it fast. It was coming from the feds. This is the way we went. Well, I would hope that they would do it differently, but I'm not quite sure if they will. 
Uh, given the steps of, of both the Liberal government as well as the new Progressive Conservative government, uh, they don't seem to realize just how robust a market there is in the private market and that instituting a, a government-owned monopoly is just not <laughs> going to work. It's not going to be able to compete. Aha, uh-huh. little little underestimation. Yeah, I'd say so. Especially like the the infrastructure for distribution, sale, and production has been, you know, it's been in place for decades now, and now the official government is attempting to reinvent the wheel. Effectively, uh, there's no real point in re- reinventing the wheel, and it's only going to cause more problems. Eric, one thing that was talked about from the beginning, and one of the things that was used to try and sway anybody who was against the legalization of marijuana was that, hey, don't worry, this is going to be useful. It will help to either wipe out or reduce the so-called black market. Do you feel there's been any effect there at all? No, no, not at all. (laughs) Do you think there will be? I I'm not so confident because uh, it's still not very available. Uh, if they really wanted to to ruin the black market, they would need to outcompete them on price, on availability, on quality, and on convenience. And since you can pick up the phone and order weed delivered to your door at any time of the day, I don't think they can compete on any of those things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let us in behind the scenes as much as you can. How? Because I've never done this, and I don't think I will, but how would somebody pick up the phone, order weed, and it arrives at my door? What's happening there? Well, I mean, there's services, and there have been services for quite some years uh, that, that can do this. Uh, where you can you can just call it up, and I'm not obviously going to share on the no, radio. No, 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 and I don't want you things, to. But but, but, but that exists. But yeah, it, it has been available, and um, it's as if it's as if they think they're starting a new market. When no, there is a market with well full penetration here, and they're they're basically starting a a you know, half-hearted government-owned monopoly to compete with a market that has fully developed and it's completely robust just not going to work. We're talking with marijuana advocate Eric Shepard. Okay, then let's look at kind of the next phase in all of this. We have seen an application filed, and I can hold up the paperwork right here. It's kind of Mm -hmm. a copy of it, with the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario for a location that would have physical marijuana in it. And I mean, instead of buying it online and and having it shipped, and it's because of the the regional pot lottery that was held. Once we were to get a physical store, does that change anything? I mean, maybe a little bit. We've had physical stores in the city. Uh, They keep getting shut down, busted by the cops, taken away. They keep popping up, of course. But are those not just for medicinal marijuana, or has that changed since the 17th? Um, it's a little bit of both. There, there have been a couple of uh, medicinal, but uh, most of the dispensaries have been like, quote unquote, medicinal, where mm-hmm. you can say, yes, it's for medical purposes, and you can get some if you need to. But the establishment of a, a, an official legal storefront, I don't think it's really going to change all that much either, because A, they're going to have supply problems. I guarantee they'll have supply problems. Uh, B, it's way the heck out in the west end it's nowhere near the core nowhere near certainly nowhere near the east end um it's i don't expect it's going to be um everything we need it to be uh and like the availability is is just not going to be there we're talking about a city of four hundred thousand people we're also talking about this whole region 
because uh, I don't know, uh, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know that there's been any other uh, lottery winners in this region other than us. I heard a suggestion of something in St. Thomas, but I haven't seen anything concrete. But okay. as far as other than that, it's been Hamilton. Yeah. And I mean, what about people in Windsor? What about people in Sarnia, Chatham, et cetera, et cetera? If ours is the only regional center for this, people are not going to be driving down the 401 to come get their pot. <laughs> They're just going to continue to engage the black market. All there is to it. You make something hard for somebody, it makes it hard for them to do it. Yeah. If you want people to do something ethically, you need to make it really, really easy for them to do so. Because I think most people would want to, if it was available, if it was easy to do, they would want to engage the legal market, pay their taxes, do everything right. But it's making it very difficult to do so. So black market it is. So, Eric, in closing, where do you think the improvement needs to come? Is it the amount of marijuana that the province needs to produce? They need to ratchet that up a little bit? Would that help? Is it just the entire system? No, it's the whole system. They're, as I say, creating a government-owned monopoly, whereas what, and, and this sounds really weird coming from me, the private market is probably the way to go here because we've already got a private market that's robust. It's it's fully fledged. It's able to meet the demand. And 25 stores across the entire province or across the region, it just doesn't make any sense. It's as, it's as if they're setting it up to fail. Isn't that wild? It is. Well, I thank you for your time and for following this as closely as you do. And we'll talk again. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for your interest. Have a great day. Take care. That's Eric Shepard. Eric is a marijuana advocate, and you know you've you've got someone who has been following the story and looks at this and says, "Yeah, it's not working." And look at the last line that Eric used. It's as if it has been set up to fail. Now, I don't believe that the government has some kind of underlying thing. This was all about money from the very beginning. This was all about money. How can we get tax dollars? That's all it was about. And that's why it was, yeah, we've got this passed in Ottawa. Yeah, okay, all right, going to be legalized. Let's make it October 17th, 2018. Okay, everybody signed off on this? Yeah, seconded. Okay, eyes have it. That's what it was. And then they turn their back on it. And then, yeah, provinces, you you kind of figure out what you want to do. Yeah, just uh, don't get yourselves into any trouble. Just, I don't know, you know pop up some dispensaries. Uh, I don't know, make it available online. Who actually does this? And as Eric says, they probably underestimated in a big way just how many people were going to make use of trying to buy legal marijuana. And if you can't buy it legally, you just keep buying it from where you've been getting it all along. People have been smoking marijuana whenever, whether it's on weekends, whether it's daily. They've got their place to get it. They still have their place to get it. They didn't go to jail back then. And there's less of a chance that they're going to go to jail now. Bob, we've got about 60 seconds, but they're all yours. Yeah, Mike, I tell you, your guest, uh, Eric, I think it was, right? Yes. Yeah, he's got a rude awakening coming, and so do the people in the black market, I think, in the dispensaries. Because dispensaries, I'll tell you why. I use medical marijuana, I have for five years, right? And I won't buy it off anybody. I won't even go to the dispensary, because I don't know what they're selling me. And if you're buying it off the street, you know, you can you can still find lace with other things you don't want, like fentanyl. That is a concern, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So what what he's failing to describe um, is what's going on in the industry. Is there's huge companies building new facilities that are, aren't up and running, like Aurora Sky and Aurora Sun, and you've got Tweed, the Canopy Growth Corporation. You got Afria. These people are expanding worldwide. Now they have 
what's going on in the market right now is all these companies, what they're doing is they're holding all the medical marijuana. Uh, well, medical patients get first first bids on anything coming out of these factories or, or these uh, companies, right? So that's why there's a shortage right now. But when these places get up and running, and they're not 100% capacity right now running at that capacity, and they will, and they're going to see more stores pop up. And eventually, this is in its infancy, so eventually you're going to see a huge market, and they're going to put the black market and these dispensaries out of business, period. I'll, I'll put a 1000 bucks on it right now with anybody. It's going to happen. I, I read about this every day, and I see it's going, because these companies also, you have to realize, these huge companies that we have in Canada right now, have supply contracts around the world, and I mean huge supply contracts. So this is all going to get sorted over over time when they get up and running at 100% capacity. And if you look into it, what they're building right now at West, these new facilities are huge. It's over a million square feet. No, you make a good point, because we have people who are taking courses right now, and McMaster is a great place, I think, that that you can point to, that are still creating cultivators. We don't have all of these jobs filled. So, yeah, maybe in the future then it does change. Bob, i got to run. Oh, yeah, go ahead. And I think you're going to find people are going to use their common sense because once they find out about the reality of where these industries are going and what's going to i think the the paramount thing here is going to be the safety factor like when you buy your liquor you're not buying it from uh some i'm not buying moonshine moonshine. you're right that's okay that's a good point okay thanks for the call yeah okay that's that that does bring it up i don't necessarily see i don't know enough about drugs i mean are, are we using fentanyl mixed in with marijuana I suppose there's a chance of cross-contamination if a drug dealer is a drug dealer is a drug dealer and they're not just growing weed. So, okay, yeah, I guess that's something we do need to keep in mind. But, yeah, we are still creating the people who are going to work in this industry. They're not all there yet. Maybe we've got to wait years to fully make a decision on this. We'll come back and close out next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are out of time on London Live. Next up, Jacqueline LaBelle has news. London Live brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialist. Do take it easy, especially on the drive home, because it is wintry. We'll have details next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.